0: making comics a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives i'm scott lost the creator and artist of the second shift and wanders mill sonda for the accidental aliens
1: and i'm keith foster i write the comics kadoja and three protectors and i'm a managing partner at invader comics
0: and i am super excited to try my beer but before i tell you guys about what i have keith what are you rocking this week
1: yeah so you said try so that means you're going to try some new shit i oh, however, yeah. i've had a week starting starting with my shit faced idiot performance on last week's making comics podcast i have been I have been going hard in the paint um with just like the minimum abV I've been going with has been like seven seven and a half so i was I was at the Trader Joe's and I'm like I need some groceries but also I just need. I just need something basic. I basically need some beer-ass beer, but I didn't quite want to go to Coors Banquet yet. Plus, Trader Joe's doesn't carry that. So I went with what is arguably my favorite lager. It is uh, Stone's Buena Vesa. And I may have had this before. It is a lager, but with some salt and lime in it. So it's basically like drinking the Corona and having them do all the work for you. It is excellent. Um, I first tried it couple years ago, uh, during, I guess, 2020 when COVID was, you know, a dangerous threat. uh, My wife got me as a birthday present, a like video stone tasting. And so they shipped all the beers, California only, they're the only states that can do it because, you know, stone is in state. And then you just sit there and go through a couple videos and taste beers while they're doing it. It's amazing. Anyway, so yeah, I just needed, I just needed something simple. And maybe I'll want a second one of these and maybe I won't. But the bottom line is, even if I do have a second one, that's still about as half as much half as much of the power rating that I had last week with that monstrosity with the Dice Goblin I think I had last week. So anyway, how about you?
0: Okay, so I have Mother Earth Brewing Company. This is something I've never seen before. I'm not sure how long it's been out. It's brand new to me. It's called Milk Truck Latte Stout. It is vanilla, coffee, lactose, and oats. It is uh, 5.8 ABV, 12 ounces only. And it is fucking fantastic. I had a sip while you were talking. I just wanted to be ready for it. And I am upset that I did not buy more of these because it is oh so delicious. It is the right weather for it. Um, so my backup is a Ashland hard seltzer. So, you know, going, going back to the old tried and true uh but season two yeah exactly yeah exactly exactly um but yeah i'm i'm really digging this mother earth it's it's oh so good and i got this at trader joe's i just grabbed one can and uh, i think next time i'm there i'm gonna grab a few more i saw it on the shelf and passed on it so yeah man
1: only because i wasn't in that space i just needed lager or something so good to know that i can go back and grab that that was pretty plentiful on the bottom shelf but then again you know go dialing it back Um, I was in my refrigerator. There is one can left of that rogue stout. I got the one that's like Santa's honey helper or whatever it is. And that thing was plentiful. And that's just long gone. So uh, so yeah, beers can go pretty fast at TJ's. So I may uh, I may go buy one or two tomorrow just as a precaution.
0: Yeah, man. All right, my dude, we got the beers out of the way. What was uh, the first thing you did this week?
1: I I did a few things this week that all feel... They all kind of feel like the final brick I needed or the final bit of, like, cloud gathering I needed to get down to some more practical work. So the first thing I did this week is three protectors. Um, I... When we last spoke, I had had the three protectors stuff done, basically. And so what I did was I... I'm really into this tactile thing right now. And, and partly I think it's because the program I write in is Scrivener. And when I write comic scripts in Scrivener, Scrivener, I go page by page, as opposed to something like a Microsoft Word document where it just scrolls. So as a result, sometimes I, I, in Scrivener, I get to this point where like I need to see the whole thing and I need to just be able to bounce between everything. So I drop it all into a, uh, I, I drop it into a PDF and then I just printed that out. And then I did one more pass of putting lines through stuff, scribbling out, crossing out, etc. So I had done that before when I was doing this script, but I decided I wanted to do it one more time and just give it a read as an entire entity, because now I've gone beginning to end. And so I liked it, you know? Um, I actually listened to music that's very much in line with the my own Big Pimp Jones 3 protector soundtrack. And, uh, and it was great to, to get me in that that mood. So I, I finished this pass of the script. And now all I have left is a little bit of tactical work that uh, it will allow me to send the script to Mike. So why don't I wait to do that? And then I can talk about it next week. But uh, but for now, what I did this week is, again, printed it out, went through it, enjoyed that gestalt feel of just being able to go through the whole script quickly and, and make some notes and what, what lines weren't right, etc., and uh, get it that much closer to send it off to the editor and see what they think before I really get down into like deep nitty gritty and hire an artist and all that stuff for three protectors.
0: Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Getting getting those things right in order, making sure you have uh, all your T's crossed and all your I's dotted. That's perfect, Uh, especially being able to see it all. I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes like working off of your phone works sometimes for you. It's just like, yeah, I just need to drop this stuff down. I have some ideas. I have uh an idea going in my head and it's easy to grab that phone and do it right then and there even if you do talk to text like that helps it move along really quickly um but then you sometimes just need to step away and get that overall view and and see what it looks like from there absolutely
1: absolutely and uh and you know the the big picture stuff where this helps is You're grinding and you're grinding and you're writing a page and you're really thinking about that page. You know, the way my writing process generally is, is I do all the big thinking first, at least as much as I feel I need to do. And then when it's time to write, I set myself out to write like maybe a scene every day. But sometimes if it's more involved than that, just two pages every day, knock it out, depending on how busy everything else is. So what happened is this later pass is super helpful in catching these logical inconsistencies you have so i had one logical inconsistency where a a character shows up a, a opponent character and and does some some badass shit Then about uh, 20 pages later, the badass character shows up again and the same character, the same protagonist character that saw them do the badass shit before and was witness to it now has these thoughts about like, oh, wow, so the legends are true about this character. So blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait a fucking minute. This is the second time they've seen him. They wouldn't They wouldn't think this the second time they've seen them. They'd think it the first time they've seen them. So I had to make notes like drop this into the first scene and figure out how to make that work and then rewrite the dialogue for the second scene. Again, it's the sort of bigger picture stuff that you're going to lose, especially in novels, because novels you're just writing like two pages a day. You, you, It can take three weeks to go 30 pages and you can just... Over the course of a novel, a lot of times you'll just repeat yourself and repeat yourself and repeat yourself because every individual day you had no idea you were repeating yourself. It seemed like a pretty fresh thought. So that applied a little bit here in comics only because it was such a long time span from beginning to end on the book.
0: I feel like that sometimes when I talk to you on the pod, I'm like, wait, did I talk to him about this already? <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where you do an episode every week and, you you know, you talk so often and sometimes it's like, wait, did I mention that to you in a text, a group chat or was that actually on the air? So yeah, I hear you when it comes to totally. stuff like that.
1: And and
0: to make things even more complicated for our, our little pea brains,
1: Um, we have it takes us multiple weeks to do things so we'll talk about the same thing for multiple weeks and it's making incremental progress and then the challenge for us is to not say the exact same thing we did the week before because there's probably some new nuance to it but yeah man again you get it we all get it
0: yeah yeah definitely how about Um, you okay so i finished two pages of uh, second shift 13 all right so yeah yeah i got that second page done today um, it was another one of those combo deals where I was working on a page um, that had not been worked on previously and I finished a large majority of those things and then I jumped on a page that only needed essentially it was two back three backgrounds that needed work. Um, like most of the character work was done for the most part. There's like background characters and you know I got these characters running through an alleyway and I was just like, all right, what what's in an alleyway? And uh, I was like, okay, there's usually a dumpster, there's trash, lots of trash, if you're, depending on your area, homeless people. So I was like, hey, I'm in California, homeless people, they're definitely in alleyways, and there's definitely a lot of trash, and uh, so I made sure to add those elements into that panel, and it's adding to the time, but hey, you gotta do what you gotta do, you have to make those scenes look legitimate, and you know... Leaving backgrounds sparse doesn't help anyone. It doesn't make your book look good. You know, it may shave some time off of your drawing time, but you need your overall product to look good. So it was like, okay, I have to fill this space, make sure that there's a lot of background elements in there to make it feel as realistic as possible. And uh, yeah, so that's what I was working on today. It was one of those snakes in the burning building that I had to rescue. And, uh, I'm luckily in the mood for it and was able to knock it out today. So there's just a little bit of work that I need to do, like some line weight, but overall that page is done. Just need to double check everything, make every, make sure everything's good. Uh, right before we jumped on the air, I thought I was done, but I did see that one panel needed a character needed some line weight, but that only take, you know, like a minute or two to add. So not a lot of time.
1: Yeah. Rock on, rock on. Uh, I, I sometimes let my mind wander, and I'm not even buzzed yet, but I was thinking like I had an alternate version of conversation, alternate path where you said, well, you know, I, I realized I needed authenticity, so I slept in the dumpster. <laughs> that would have been really cool. That would have been really I cool. am
0: now homeless.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I needed that authentic feel. Um, but I did have a question for you, which is why was this a snake? Why was this, why was drawing an alleyway? I have a hunch, but I'm curious to see what you say. Why was this something that you'd been
0: dreading? Usually I dread, all of my snakes are panels with a lot of background element or a difficult angle Mm -hmm. um, for the character and the background element. Usually if it's a character, it's not much of a snake for me. Um, I can figure that out. You know, you got a timer on your phone, you could set the camera at the angle that you needed to, try to get in that pose, go ahead and push the button, run back in your position and get that correct angle. Um, so th- that's not much of an issue for me, but it's really backgrounds. Making sure your perspective is correct, and making sure you have all of those background elements like I said to make that scene feel authentic. So okay. really when I talk about the snakes in the burning building, that's what I'm talking about. So I would say I have about 6 or 7 panels that have a lot of a lot of backgrounds to it. And so the more I knock those out, the faster this is all going to be. Uh, unfortunately, this was one of those issues where I just every time I saw an easy panel I tackled it. So it wasn't one of those things where I got myself into rhythm, then I jumped into the difficult ones. It was just like, no, I'm kind of in a cruising mood right now. Mm -hmm. And so I was just knocking out more and more easy panels. But, you know, like like I said on the last episode, like I'm in the mood for it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm up for the challenge because because that finish line is right there. It doesn't bother me that much. So when I see these panels... Now my brain goes, okay. What's the best way to tackle this? All right, make sure you have your points of perspective down. Where where would those be? You know, thankfully in Procreate, they have a very helpful tool, the um, you know perspective tool, and it helps a lot. You know, it cuts down like the anxiety of doing those backgrounds. Like when you're doing it traditional, you know, it's it's a little bit more difficult. But when you have that tool to help you out, it really cuts down on the time. And that's the point of all of this, you know, it's like I need to speed up as fast as possible and it definitely helps and it gets you the right angles. But um, a trick that I like to do is I'll lay stuff out with that perspective tool. It keeps your lines nice and sharp, but what that also does, it makes your backgrounds look mm, stale, I guess, or it's like a little dead. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very artificial looking. It's just, everything's very sharp, very crisp. And that's not what the reality of our world is. You know, even with buildings, yeah, the lines are straight, but you have stucco on there. Some of them have been there for a while, so they're damaged. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I'll draw the backgrounds, these particular backgrounds, uh, with a perspective tool, everything's nice and sharp. And then when I go in and ink it, i do not use the perspective tool to help so what the perspective tool does is it guides you to a straight line like it it puts you on the path to do the straightest line possible Mm -hmm. there's you can't fuck it up when i'm inking it i turn the perspective tool off and i do everything freehand from there so what you get is a nice organic line you know Mm -hmm. it's a straight line relatively but it's there's a There can be a little bit of a waiver to it, um, which adds to that authenticity of a building that's been potentially weathered.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that also makes sense from the from the human element, you know, uh, from Mm -hmm. the human element perspective, no pun intended. Because, you know, we, we, we're probably going to have another one of these conversations soon. I know we just had one in the Making Comics chat with Gary about AI art, um, kind of the updated remix of AI art, because a lot has really changed since we talked about it, you know, three, four months ago on air. But um, it's something that I, I struggle with on the music side. You know, when, when you have so many great tools available to make music and prefab things, Where's, where, do you, where do you begin? You know, what are you doing? Like, you know, for Big Pimp Jones, we have a lot of loops on our stuff. And when I say loops, I don't just mean looping ourselves playing instruments. You know, so the Roots do that. The Roots, uh, for their first two records, they played like live organic tracks. And then they went to a more sampled sound. But the sampling is of them. They would play loops and then sample themselves. So it would have that kind of awkward hip-hop loop feel even though it was them playing their instruments. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about buying these kind of softwares where you can just get horns and then you drop these killer professional horns into your track. Or, you know, um, I have a drumming program where you can just lay out all these amazing drum tracks. Um, But then the question is, if all I have to do is drag and drop files to make this track, isn't it the same for everybody else? And what can I do to make this music mine? and so that's when live instruments come on, right? A, m- a lot of big pimp jones music is either 100% you know original or it might be as little as like 30% original in some cases, but we are we are livening up the tracks so that you know it's something that could have only come from us. And while that may not be your intention with this, I think it is beneficial because anybody could just drop some stuff in perspective and crap it out as an art file right like that's not special arranging and dragging and dropping is not necessarily special you need to add that human element that scott lost element that separates your comic from absolutely every other thing and the only way you're going to do that is putting your
0: own organic touches on it right and and it's also understanding perspective as well and that's something that You know a lot of debate in the art community can have um i'm i don't know anyone personally i've heard i've heard some artists talk about it on their youtube channels in passing where you know um like for instance they'll talk about studying images that have the exact same image on the opposite side so if you're the left side image is the same as the right side image so they'll study the image to see if it if a Symmetry tool is used so it's just copying the line mirrored on the other side however you're drawing it so you only have to draw half of the face or You know, half of the body, and it's just copied exactly on the other side. Um, Sometimes I'll use that tool when I am doing character studies or or like trying to design a new character. I'm like, okay, what does this person's costume looks like? Mm -hmm. What does it look like? So I'll draw the body as fast as possible. I use the symmetry tool. So it's just like, okay, half of the face, half of the half of the body. The whole body's done because I'm trying to design the costume. Mm -hmm. So you know, there are shortcuts you can use, and it's all on how you're using it and what you're using it for um the that idea that some artists do look for it and see it as a flaw and see it as cheating i think they're looking at this all wrong you know it's like it's a tool to help you to guide you to speed you up whatever you need it to do mm-hmm. so if it's If it's my lines on the left side and it's just a copy of my lines on the left side, it's still my lines on the right side. It doesn't matter that I used a tool to do it just to just to mirror it. And if you're trying to speed up the process and again, if you're an artist that's working on a monthly basis and you need to get these books out as fast as possible, you you'll do every trick in the book to get things done. I mean, Jack Kirby did it. Jim Lee does it. Everybody that you think is above reproach is not. You're you're wrong. They had morgue files, they've traced things out, they've they've you know, done all of that. They use reference. It doesn't matter what your particular you're up on your high horse, basically. Mm-hmm. If if you think, hey, you're cheating, this is the wrong way, you should do everything the way I do it and the way I see fit, well that's that's you and that's how you should do it. You know, like everyone is not you and if and if everyone was you then the world would be a boring place. So yeah you get what you need to get done the way you need to get it done and you figure it out. Um, and yes, for uh, going back to the perspective tool, it's like you have to understand perspective, how to draw a building, how to draw a dumpster, you know, anything, a car, you know, whatever you're trying to do, you have to understand the perspective of it in order for you to draw that. It's it's not a thing where, um, well, like, like let's take Google SketchUp. You can type, you know, oh, I'm, I'm looking for a Camaro. More than likely someone has created a 3D model of a Camaro and you can grab that and you can drop it in. Now, like you said, you have to add your own particular touch across the top of it. It's like, yeah, do you want to trace it off? And like, you need to put it in the perspective or the angle that you want to do it and you want to trace it off because you've shown in the past, This this is, for me, this is the real test of the artist. As long as you've done it before, I don't mind you doing, I don't mind the tracing aspect of it later. It's like, have I seen you draw a real car? Yeah, it looks really good. Okay, who who the fuck cares how you get it later on? Because we've seen you do it before. We know you know how to do it. We know Keith knows how to play his instrument. So if you use a loop that you you picked up, you purchased, who gives a shit? You're Mm -hmm. putting it to use in your own way that Mm -hmm. someone else wouldn't do. So it's all on how you're using these tools and how you're getting where you need to go. Totally. Totally. I mean, I think there's a there's a dangerous larger conversation.
1: We're just going to kind of dance on the rim of the volcano here for a second without going down this, because this could probably be multiple episodes or or arguably even a podcast on its own. I I think for a long time, whether it's art uh, in any form, music. You know, current, so like AI art versus, quote, real drawing is, is one of these examples right now. But there's always an example. You just said it, you know, using Google SketchUp instead of drawing it yourself. Um, in music, it can it can be a million things. And I would even argue that companies, actual business companies that make products or offer services, they, they do the same thing. It's, it's the differentiation of process versus product. Someone who is saying, you know, oh, I check to see if half the face is drawn or the whole face is drawn or if it's symmetrical or something like that. You know, what you're trying to do is you're trying to differentiate yourself on the basis of process um, as opposed to differentiating yourself on the basis of product. And you know, in music, I think I've given this example. Well, I've definitely given it to you offline. But you know, in 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 funk, where I was, there was this whole thing about like, well, this was recorded on hundred percent analog equipment, and it was it was recorded to tape, and it's warmer, and it's this, and it's that, and it's like, in a lot of cases, nobody really gives a shit. You know, like that's that's the thing I've found over over time, and and I think it's like nobody gives a shit within reason much like a lot of other things, I just don't know where the line is here. I know that if you do nothing but drop a bunch of loops in and call it yours, that's wrong, you know? But I also know that there's a lot of variables on that or variations on that that are right. You know, we know that using computer um, technology in terms of Google SketchUp is fine within reason, but we also know that Using complete total AI art is wrong, you know, so again, it's a continuum that you can't judge, but I, I do find it interesting from a larger point of view, greater point of view on this process versus product thing. You know, that, that some people really obsess on the process and that becomes the conversation. I tend to be a lot more product focused than process. That's just where I fall. Um, but I do understand that there are some things that you just shouldn't do at all <laughs> that are wrong. You know, whole, wholesale theft, not doing any of the work yourself, too, too much reliance on the aids that come pre-baked into anything that you do. Again, it's hard to figure out where that exact spot on the continuum is.
0: I think I might have mentioned this on the air before, and if I have, oh well, it's worth telling again. Um, a family friend was in in town for whatever reason, and um, I was with my goddaughter at the time, and I was drawing on my iPad. And he goes, "Oh, you do that all on your on the iPad now?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Wasn't well, that like cheating?" And I was just like, "What?" I'm like yeah. what are you talking about? He goes, "Well, you're just doing it on a computer, isn't that cheating?" And I'm like, "Oh, here, you draw something." Yeah. And he goes, well, "I I can't. I don't know how to draw." I'm like, "Okay, so how is it cheating then? If yeah. you can't do it and only I can do it because I know how to draw.
1: Right. Can you
0: tell me how that's cheating?" Right. And he's a little bit of an idiot, so he didn't have a good answer for that. So, right. <laughs> and in the conversation. You know, you there's know. just yeah. there's just people like that that just don't really understand the use of technology, the growth of technology, how it improves your game as an artist as a creator or just you know work your workload in general you know it could be anything you know a newer computer has faster faster speed than your older computer so it speeds up your work time in that way you know whatever the case is you know the iPad I'm able to lay something out. If I don't like it, I don't have to scrap it all. I can just digitally move it over. I can shrink something. I can, I can increase the size of something like with the snap of a finger, you know, with the circle of a lasso, you know, right. and it's just the benefit of the tools that speeds up your process and how you, how you use them. Yeah. Um, another good example is Drew Shruzan. Um very famous for doing the Indiana Jones posters, the star Wars posters. Um, he projected, he would take photos of the actors and he would project them onto a screen and then he would essentially just trace their faces mm-hmm. and then he would paint on top of it. Is that cheating? Well, he's the one that created the composition. That's not a composition that I would have came up with or any other artist would have came up, came up with. It's he is the one who came up with it. Right. So it's just, okay, is it, is it, um, a bit of a hack, a time hack? To just trace the faces and and bang stuff out, yeah, it is. But who gives a shit? He's mm-hmm. paid for the product, so like you were saying, you're not a process. You're not about the process of it. You're the product. The product of it is what matters. Mm-hmm. And for Drew Struzan, that that's what mattered to him because he was being paid to do these posters and get them out in a certain amount of time. Yeah. Now, he's an amazing artist, so I'm sure he could have chipped away at doing the likeness of. You know, like like any of the actors there, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, whatever. He could sit there and just draw and draw and draw until he got the likeness right, mm-hmm. and that's perfectly fine to do. But how much hours is he wasting doing that, as opposed to let me just take some reference photos, get them at the angle that I want, have them the pose that I want, take the photo, project them on the screen, trace them out real quick, and then I can start painting something that you know i can't do that other people can't do like he does he does it the way he does it and he's the only artist to do it that way so yeah um again these are all just tools it's a matter of using them to get your work done so um you know the biggest names in comics and in art have done it so who am i to argue with them totally totally i get it man no, i mean
1: that again we we could go on forever but in the interest of time i'm getting a thing number two uh, yeah, so,
0: yeah, and oh, and just real quick, I yeah. did want, and I don't think I mentioned this on the air. I really did want to talk to Gary about AI art because he was part of that conversation that that we were having. Mm-hmm. I don't. Did we have that with him on the air, or was that just in the chat that we that talked that was a to
1: him chat where we talked about?
0: Okay, yeah. yeah, and I definitely wanted to get his perspective on it when he was on the air. It was just we were so hell bent on time. Uh, we were basically each. Each episode we recorded was like two hours a piece so we totally. definitely had to speed it up uh totally. but yeah that's definitely an interesting conversation at some point i would like to revisit maybe mm-hmm. even in like six months to see where it's progressed since then
1: yeah yeah no i'm, I'm down and again i think it'll be i think it's going to be at the forefront of a lot of art stuff um over over the next year or two so we'll see where it goes so my second thing Again, a, another example of how a ton of formative work is leading to tactical work again, which is starting yesterday. I mean, I didn't really do it today, but I did start yesterday. I'm back to writing my 500 words a day in the novel. So it's been about two months. It's been about two months since I decided to, to drop the idea of this novel November and of just crushing through my second book. And writing, writing, writing. I realized I needed a lot of formative work. I needed a lot of big thinking work. And I did a ton of it. You know, you look at me doing... Here, here are the things I've done in the last two months. I've done the big thinking on the story, laid out the large-scale beats of the story. I have gotten feedback on my first 20 pages, which has helped inform the rest of the novel. Because I learned some things in just the feedback from those first 20 pages that make me need to make some changes. And that's what I've done. I've already cut a POV. I'm changing some of the plot threads so there are less of them and they're less convoluted. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it really helped a ton. And also, to the extent of the podcast we had recently, I've thought through magic in my book, right? Because it is a, it is a magic-related book. And uh, I was able to think through my understanding of magic and how it goes. And, you know, if, we, if I went through that checklist again from uh, from that episode, you'd see that not a lot of my answers are super finite, but it's more for larger nebulous type of thought. You know, I'm I'm here to discover the rest as I write it. I can't know it until I write it. But at least taking that time and doing that exercise really helped me get myself in position to start writing again. And that's what I did. So yesterday... I got 500 words, and then today, I thought I was gonna sit down and do 500 words, but what I ended up doing was cutting about five to 800 words because that made the whole scene flow better. And so I just kept on looking at it and cutting and going, no, this is too many. you know. Um, so for me, I, I looked at the word count for this scene I was writing, and it was 3,200 words. So that is roughly 13 pages for a scene. That is a monstrous scene. No, wait, that's more than that. Wait, it's 250. Yeah, no, that's right. 250, so a 1,000 words is four pages. So yeah, it was about 12, 13 pages. And I'm like, that's way too much for this scene. You know, it was a dialogue-heavy scene, but still, that's way too much. And so I was like, what do I need to cut? And then I looked at the, the beats of the scene, and I realized that there were like four subject changes. So I decided, hey, for some of these subject changes, I'm just gonna cut this, drop it in a to to write later file and put that element of the conversation in a future conversation when they meet again. As of right before this podcast, when I stopped doing it, I think I was down to about 2,100 words, which is perfect. That's like eight pages for again, a very long involved thing. I still have some more to write, but I think this version is so much better. This is the first time I felt good about this scene ever after after just dumping a whole lot of you know, first draft crap, you know, this is still the first draft, but it needs to be better than this. I, I can't accept that previous version of the scene as something a first draft can build on. So I was happy because while I did more cutting than writing today, it is in position
0: for me to just pick it right up tomorrow and finish the scene. That's great. And I think that's a part of the effect of you doing a novel. So, so recently that that kind of idea is fresh in your mind where, you know, talking to Mike and your mentor, they were cutting and trimming stuff like, hey, if you if you cut this out, this makes this flow better. I think that's fresh in your mind. So I think that's helping the process. You can just look at it and you can go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, I can see where I had the problem. I had a problem with that in the previous novel. Let me get rid of it now. So yeah, that's great. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely a learning because my first novel had way too many plot threads and I took a draft or two just to clean them all up and make it less convoluted. So I'm happy that I'm doing it here in draft number one instead
0: of draft number three. Right on. Yeah, and then cutting that writing and repurposing it later on, that's perfect. I do the same thing with art. Sometimes I'll work on poses um, for a particular panel and I'm like, this isn't working out, but I like the pose. It's not right for the scene and I will cut it and I will paste it into another another file, and I just have like this file that has random poses in it that I could potentially use for later on. So if I'm ever struggling with something, I could jump in there and go, okay, what's in here that I can use? Oh, hey, I can use that, and I'll grab it and drop it in. Totally. Um, okay, so my, how many things do you have? I only have one more, really. I think yours is good enough, because uh, I'm going to touch on the novel again once we get to our main topic. Right on. Okay, so... Um, If you guys have been listening the last, I don't know, month or two, um, I had a missing commissioner, someone that commissioned me to work on a logo for their company. Um, They were a client I had worked with before, and this was my like, hey, don't do what I just did, which was start work for a client without getting at least half up front. Um, He resurfaced. So thank goodness. Uh, Like I said before, I had worked with him. That's why I wasn't initially stressed about the down payment because he is someone i worked with i think about two to three times and uh, i was like yeah he's good for it he always pays me and uh yeah he disappeared so what had happened was his grandpa died so he was basically off social media for a couple of months with the events of his grandfather passing it just wasn't on his mind to check his social media so it completely slipped his to pay me that fee and he showed up he explained what happened he uh Paid me my fee, what was owed, uh, plus a little bit of a tip just for the inconvenience of it all. So I do appreciate that. And uh, like I said on a previous episode, I was like, I have a feeling he might show up because our communication is so sparse. And uh, you know, thankfully he did show up. It was under unfortunate events why he disappeared, but uh, thankfully that's all. That's all good now. The thing's paid. The piece is done, and um, I just need to send him the file. Um, And and that came in over the weekend. And so it's been a little bit busy since then. So I just need to send him that file over uh, and we're good to go. So this week's subject matter is choosing the right parts of the story or choosing the right action. So choosing the right action, it gives you an impression of what we're going to talk about. And we can we can delve into the basics, what that says. But really, it's more of a philosophical conversation we're going to have on your story whatever whatever that story may be um choosing the right action what that sounds like is okay well what do i draw what's the right thing to draw um is it it's the wind up right you want the wind up you want to draw that you if want you're, the moment if you're
1: talking of, about a, if you're talking about a, a fist to the face is that what you're going with here
0: yeah okay or a kick to the face or whatever right mm-hmm. if you're if you're drawing an action scene you want the wind up You want the moment of impact and you want the aftermath. Those are the three things you want when you're doing a fight scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could just keep going rapid fire, depending what that fight scene is. Um, Watch some movies, check the choreography out. That makes more of an action, makes more for a interesting action scene. Um, Page turns, page turns building up to that action. You know, that moment of impact, that's something you're going to want on your left-hand side. You're going to turn that page so the reader doesn't accidentally look to the right and see what that moment of impact is, whatever it is, that surprise element, whatever it is. Um, but that's not exactly what we're talking about. We are talking about feeling your script, feeling your story, understanding your script and what it needs. Like, that's that's my idea of this subject matter. Keith, mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I obviously will tack on
1: some right parts of the story stuff at the end, but let's stay here for a minute because a fist to the face, a kick to the face, some bit of action like that, I think that's a very it's a very clear way of describing what we're talking about, but it's also a very easy way of describing what we're talking about, and a lot of comics aren't that straightforward. Not every page is going to be a wind-up and a punch to the face. It's going to be something else. Um you know, the the comic that actually just jumped in my head was The Closet, the Tinian book, and how that has a whole lot of non-action in it. You know, it has dudes sitting around a campfire. It has a kid in his bedroom wondering about the monster in the closet. It has people yelling at each other. It has that kind of stuff. And... In that case, I think you can do a little bit more right than wrong. There's a little bit more of a uh, bandwidth for you to experiment. You know, if you experiment too much with a wind-up, a contact, and a follow-through, you're going to get some weird shit, and you don't want that. You know, there there's definitely some things you want to do there. They aren't even rules. They're just good storytelling that you don't want to divert too far away from or diverge. I don't know. One of those two. Um but you know in in terms of just having two people sit around talking you know you still need to figure out what moments to tell there and i think in, in you know if we're if we're picking and choosing a couple different examples here when two people are talking i think you want to go for the moments where the facial expressions are most interesting because right. that's that's the snapshot you're going for. And what that means is, you know, just taking a guess here because I don't draw, but you're going to want the moments that convey the maximum amount of emotion there. So if someone's sad, you want them looking pretty sad. You know, if someone is arguing, you probably want their mouth at what its widest would be. At the argument point, right? Or when their finger gesture is at its worst or at its most demonstrative or something like that. So again, it's about choosing those right bits of quote-unquote action because action can come in a lot of ways, shapes, and forms. And it's also about finding those right milliseconds in time or moments in time for you to tell the story, whatever that is, you know? Because if a, if a monster's coming out of the closet, the proverbial, you know, Monsters Incorporated thing, then you need to know what what moments of that story you want to tell you can't just have an open closet and then a monster on top of the kid in the goddamn bed you know you're same thing in a lot of ways right and you could even reduce it probably to wind up follow through and a wind up point of action and follow through but you just got to understand that those principles need to get a little more flexible as you do different things with different parts of your own storytelling
0: Yeah, especially if you're going with the emotional aspect and it's drawing those elements out. So, like, let's let's keep using the closet as a good example. Um, It's the kid in his room looking in the closet, wondering if there's something there. And then it cuts to a close up of maybe a toe or a foot coming out of the shadows of that closet. Now, that's building up. That's creating your moments of suspense. Mm -hmm. And then that's when you get the page turn. You get the page turn. You get the full on monster. You know, Mm -hmm. like right at the end, you get the foot, you get a close up of the kid's face and then boom, you turn the page. There it is at like on the the footboard of the bed, leaning over the kid, you know. So Mm -hmm. those are great examples of how you can use um, the correct moments of a story to convey the strongest message possible.
1: Mm -hmm. And an important note here, as we're talking about this more, I get the feeling we're going to unpack a little bit more the type of story you're telling is going to dictate that so for example there are there are two different versions of the exact same scene that you can tell depending on what kind of story you are trying to tell right so let's do a quick sequence a and sequence b sequence a is so both sequences start with the kid sitting up in bed let's say looking at that closet door okay sequence a has the kid looking at the closet door. And I think this might even be in the closet and I love it. It's a super creepy effect. I think it's in there. And then panel B is the same, same exact panel. Panel C is the same exact panel. And then panel D is the thing starting to creak open and like nothing but a smile visible inside the darkness or something like that, right? So you get that gradual passage of time and you build the tension. And then that thing slowly makes its way toward the kid and then it's there, right? But you could do an alternate version of that scene if, say, you really want to play up the psychological horror of it. Then you could have the kid look at the closet and you could have panel two be that fucking monster right on top of him. And then you could have panel three have it gone. Right. To, to convey the idea that this whole thing might be in his head and like, oh, my God, that happened so fast, you know, so pacing the story you're trying to tell, what kind of mood you want. All these little nuances do go into the panels you select, just like, you know, I mean, you could probably do like a, a four panel wind up, one panel of impact and three panels of follow through if that's really what you wanted to do. And I guarantee there are comics out there that do it. And they're doing it for a reason. So, you know, we, we talk about this in a lot of different contexts. It comes back to the intentionality of what you're trying to do, right? That you need to be intentional about all your choices. Because if you're not intentional, readers are going to assume you're being int- intentional. So you're, you're intentional whether you like it or not. You might as well actually be intentional and think this stuff through in terms of all the panels that you want to weave together for your scene, for your page,
0: yeah. And, and you brought up something that I have jotted down was a uh, repeating pad, uh, repeating panels. So repeating panels are great. If you're trying to hold the moment, you want to slow down the pace of your storytelling. You want to let the, let the readers kind of linger there or just have your characters have a beat. And it's great to use those repeating panels. They're very effective when you're using them in the right places. Um, Something we talked about a lot here is on talking heads, you know, like, okay, still using the closet. They did did those talking scenes very differently. Um, I think every scene was a little bit different, like this Mm -hmm. fireplace scene that he was – the main character was uh, taking a road trip with his son, Mm -hmm. and he stopped at one of his uh, close friends' house uh, to stay the night. And him and the best friend were outside next to the fire pit. So, you know, you get your establishing shot – you know, with them being at the house and whatever, and then it cuts to them in the backyard around the fire pit. And more or less from there, you get a lot of close-ups of faces, but you also get body language. Mm-hmm. You know, shots of the character's hands, what they're doing, they're drinking beers, you know, their posture. Their posture, character's posture is huge for conveying emotion.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, if the, if the character is down and out, you want to have those those uh shoulders down you want to have that head down you want to have uh, you know certain looks on these characters faces and making sure you're establishing your scenes is is huge mm-hmm. you know like you want to have your reader understand where these characters are in time and space and establishing those shots and then kind of moving the camera in and out you know especially when it comes to those emotions you want to get in tight when things are really upsetting if your character is really emotional if you're if he's weeping you know it's great to get in as close as possible and really let the audience know that hey this is the emotion that i'm conveying to you this is the part of the this is what the character is feeling and you need to feel that too yeah yeah i mean so i think for
1: the for the visual point of view that's all i had to say so i'm just going to venture a little bit into the angle that I had when we were talking about doing this podcast and going back and forth on texts today, which is... uh, So here's how it started. It started by me listening to a novel. And I'm listening through the novel and immediately... Okay, it was a a sneaking suspicion that rose through the novel. And then once I put my finger on it, I believe that, that that in fact was the case. And this novel, what was wild about it is... They picked the wrong places to tell the story. So I thought about this and I, as is everything, I have my own clumsy example that I think can illustrate what I was feeling when I was listening to this novel. And it's so this fake example is basically I made myself breakfast. It was an omelet with spinach and cheese. I got the eggs from the refrigerator. I smelled them. They were fresh. I dropped them in the pot and I started cooking them. And then I got the freshest spinach I could find and put some cheese in there and started sprinkling it in. A couple burglars broke in the kitchen, so I subdued them. The cheese was melting by the time I returned back to it. And then I folded the omelet into a delicious melt and enjoyed my whatever, right? Okay, so... You're telling the wrong fucking story there, buddy. Nobody gives a fuck about the omelette. Nobody gives a fuck about the ingredients. You subdued two intruders and you gave that no space. you know, so right? it's It's hard to believe, actually, that this was something that I found in a major book on a major publisher that clearly was like agented, you know, but God damn it it was. And so that has been stuck in my head. Well, okay, I started reading the novel about 2 weeks ago. I couldn't take it cuz I was like something's wrong. This whole thing's off. It just feels like they're telling the wrong story and they're saying the wrong things and I don't get it, you know. So I let it sit. I went on a trip. I did all this stuff. I came back and listened to it. I was like, "Nope, goddammit. My original hunch was right, but let me just push through <laughs> it." It wasn't it wasn't a very long novel. And then what was interesting to me was it it spurred on something of mine. So quick quick update is that um, I'm still waiting to hear back from agents. In fact, I basically moved on to my second wave of agents because of the first 10 I sent to, I got one, sorry, it's not even my genre. No, I got one. I like it, but I don't love it. No. And I got eight soft nos. and a soft no means they never responded. So you have no choice mm. but to move on. And, But then I was thinking about it. And like, so from my, in in my submissions, there's no part of my prologue in there. Okay. Like nothing to do with this, but I was thinking about the prologue and I was thinking about how it had been originally written to basically be this, this story with a beginning, middle and end. And the end really had a dramatic finish to it and the point was that that could linger into the first 30 pages or so of the novel which are always slow because you're introducing the characters you're introducing in you're introducing the setting you're introducing the stakes you're doing all those things right so i liked the idea of like just a like we've talked about in comics you you hit them hard first and then you get that residual ring echo of the hard punch that can ideally just carry people through the beginning part of the book and make them excited for it But then over time, you know, one of the notes I got from Mike was that's too long. So I cut it. Except I wonder if I cut the wrong half. I cut the second half where a lot of the action is. And as a result, what that means is the prologue is a slow burn. And then the first 30 pages of the novel are a slow burn. So again, Mm. none of this has anything to do with the agent's stuff. Because all I did was give them the first five pages in real time. Not the prologue, not anything. This is just me thinking about my book. And I was like, you know. I think I might need to rewrite that intro. And and if an agent is interested, I'm not even going to put the prologue in there. I'm just going to send him the book. And then I'll worry about the prologue later. But if I have time, I do think I'm going to rewrite the prologue. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump to part two where all the action is. And then I'm going to summarize what happened in part one And then make it like a short, quick, I don't know, four or five page intro that does exactly what I want it to do. A prologue punches you in the face and gets you ready for some shit that's going on and lingers enough so that, you know, you you can you can enjoy and take your time with the inevitable beginning of a novel. Again, this is the way so many novels begin. They begin slow. They intro the characters. They intro the setting. They get you accustomed to the world and they introduce the stakes. Super common in novels. Not a lot of novels start with that, you know, complete punch to the head. They start with something interesting. They start with quote-unquote fireworks, but those fireworks tend to be subtle. Something's wrong. People are reacting to you funny. A weird thing happens, right? It's But it's not the big explosion of plot and action. That doesn't happen in the first couple pages of a book traditionally. So anyway, so I thought that was pretty interesting that listening to this other book, helped reframe something that i ended up applying to myself and again it goes back to what we're talking about you got to choose the right parts of the story to tell because that's what i think my prologue again this is my own estimation i got no feedback for it but i feel like i'm right it's it's something i believe now i need to change about the prologue and i do need to revisit my first novel whether it's going out to an agent or whether it's just going to get published, you know, later in the year by a different means, you know, my own means, um, which I'm totally fine with. It'll it'll need to get redone and choosing the right parts are important, you know, like not saying it has to all be action, but you got to know the parts to latch onto in your own story that people are going to want to read. And, and you know, sometimes. Workshops have to do that. There have been plenty of workshops I've been in where the the feedback has been, I think you're telling the wrong part of the story here. I think you should dial down this part and you should dial up that other thing that you're glossing over. So in a lot of ways, this connects to some other things we've said, get other people to read your work, Get, get some kind of editorial help if you can get it so people can give you this kind of feedback. At some point, you will be able to pick it up yourself if you do it enough like I just did but even then i wrote it and it sat around for years and now it just took this extra bit of like refocusing and repurposing and seeing it in someone else's work to realize that yeah while not as dramatic i think this particular rule actually applies to me too
0: yeah absolutely um self evaluation is huge and knowing to get those whatever your creative endeavor is if it's a novel if it's a comic book getting that in someone else's hands that are not related to the project and they can point out this is what the story needs you know and i got that with mike as well Mm -hmm. you know just just getting some outside feedback really does help so if you don't have a clear vision on the right parts of the story that you need to be telling definitely get that in the hands of someone that would know yeah, and and
1: in the writing case. And I could argue that in the in the probably drawing case too. A lot of this boils down to what you as an author have probably become a little bit too enamored with. You've become a little bit too enamored with, like in my case in the intro, probably a little too enamored with mood setting and getting the setting of the story set up a second time as opposed to entertaining the reader. You know, and again, I I still stand by my novel as is, but I think I can make it even better. And that's the point. You know, and same thing with these with, you know, whether it's this writing set piece we talked about where where the person theoretically spent way too much time on their omelet and its ingredients and not enough time on the interesting thing that happened that that any reader would want to know about, which was like, wait, how did you subdue
0: two people or or one person that broke into your house while you were in the kitchen? I can actually see that as a comic book and it actually working okay. So, like, if you had a very well-established hero like, let's say, I don't know sure. why she hulks in she hulks in my head. Right. Yeah. So Jen Walters is in there making an omelet and it's kind of, it reminds that when you were describing it, it kind of reminded me of, uh, like a manga genre. Sure. Like where they're obsessed with food, right? The whole manga is about food. Sure. And, uh, so as you were describing it and uh so i was kind of visualizing as it was going on you know getting the close-up of that face and then sprinkling the cheese down onto the omelet
1: right right
0: and then uh in the background you see this burglar coming in through the window and then she just hulks out and knocks the guy out and then goes back to the kitchen and then flips the omelet and uh it's like yeah. a, a fun little intro to an issue you know what i mean so in you the totally right do. setting yeah you can make something work but um uh, if that's a novel, I don't know that that's the right avenue. I don't know if that's the right story to tell. Let
1: me let me be more specific. It was a science fiction action novel. So what I'm talking about are scenes where, like, the, the, the interiority of the character was a little too focused on. Again, instead of making this clumsy reference that could sort of work now that I see your point, you know, we're talking about something where it's like an action sci-fi novel and the action was actually glossed over. Oh, yeah. And the other stuff, the lead-ins and lead-outs of the action were, like, fixated on and all these odd details and stuff were fixated on but you know i don't know if that's why people read their sci-fi so again i could be wrong no but i I think think regardless of the example it still holds that you you need to understand what the right thing is and and hook into that thing
0: no i think i think you're right with the description of it all it sounds odd and uh like the way it was done but in the right setting it can work and and more than likely it's with an established character you know what I mean? Yeah, if it's totally. Like, if it's happening to Captain America or Thor, you see this thing where Captain America is super into making omelets or something. Mm-hmm. He, you're just into it. You're like, yeah, yeah, look at Captain America doing regular day shit yeah. because you've seen Captain America do the action. You've seen him in the you know fight Nazis, the Red Skull, and all of that. You've mm-hmm. seen him with sa- him saving the world. So right. to watch him do something mundane is actually quite interesting because it's the polar opposite of what you know of that character. Right. So Depending on the story that you're trying to tell, if you're trying to tell a comedic one, that's a pretty good one.
1: You need to pick the right parts. Of, of the story you need to tell. And there's nothing wrong with getting, you know, getting some kind of outside feedback to make sure that that's happening. And one of my favorite things to do is not necessarily solicit that feedback, just see if people, see what people say. You know, I, I'm familiar, uh, tons of people will ask the workshop group or ask the editor, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What do you think of that? I prefer to leave it unremarked because that way you're going to get a real read on whether they notice it or not. If you call their attention to it, they're absolutely going to notice it. If you don't right. call their attention to it, you're going to get
0: a truer read on whether they even care. Right. Yep. No, I totally agree with that. Absolutely. I know I've asked someone, um, I asked someone a specific question and I had gotten feedback about it from someone else, but I pointed it out to that next person. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I was just like, "Fuck!" I think I should not have framed it that way. Yeah, because like you said, if you point it out to someone, they have no no choice but to notice it mm-hmm. because you're pointing right at it. You know what I mean? So, but if you just leave it open ended, everyone comes to their own conclusions. Hey, this is what jumped out to, out at me from your story. This is the strong stuff from the story. This is what I think that story was missing. You know, or like I found this this particular scene kind of weird. It didn't make sense to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, I think the smarter move is. Especially if you're in a workshop situation, you don't want to prompt pe- prompt people on what to look out for. Yep. You hand it to them knowing that they're going to give you feedback anyway, because that's kind of the point of the group.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally, totally.
0: Right on. Yeah, I got nothing else for that section, man. I, I think we uh, tackled it pretty well. Uh, you got any bullshit you need to bring? I sort of do. Do you have anything? I think I do. Yeah, fuck it.
1: Okay, so... I'm going to go with a quick thing and with a longer thing. And both of them are like residual Hawaiian stuff, right? Hmm. Um, The first thing is that I am actually on a a decent sized ube kick right now. It's kind of interesting because so I I think we went. Oh, quick shout. um, Something that I forgot to mention last time. We went to a restaurant on the Hilo site. It's called Restaurant Kenichi. It was comfort food. It was Japanese slash Hawaiian slash Korean fusion. It's mm. like it's it's in this really low key restaurant, man. Look, looks like the kind of place that's been like a diner for 30 years. One of one of the best like comfort food meals I've ever had. I had the chicken katsu with just white rice. And uh, one of my favorite things in the world, especially in like Hawaiian joints, is when they do a mac potato salad in one macaroni salad and potato salad they just mix the mac salad and potato salad like oh together. interesting Fug, i don't think i've dude. ever had that oh it's the greatest it's the greatest king's hawaiian in um south bay in la does that the mac potato salad and these guys did it all oh, so fucking good um and hey random thing that um if if you're so inclined uh go to and you want to go to the restaurant kenichi yelp page in Hilo. The, the the title photo is mine. I actually took the photo oh. with my review and I submitted it and then I got a note like two days later like hey the owner made it the featured photo for their restaurant so you can see my chicken katsu right now um, before they change it over and I thought that was really cool man you know like yeah that's awesome some, something I like doing when I'm on a trip any trip is instead of just falling for the typical social media you know 30 minute void I try to review some of the places I've been on Yelp just because I feel like hey at least I'm giving something to community you know I'm helping out a business I'm educating someone who may or may not want to go you know so I did that and I thought that was really cool that like hey I became a few that's like my photography highlight of my career (laughs) that's it's like the most important picture I've ever taken basically
0: I like I like doing that Uh, I'll stay on that for a second I like doing that as well I do um, I'll do Yelp reviews I don't do a ton of them but when I do it's for usually smaller businesses and um, I'll always include the price points You know, because, like, for me, like, I know that's important. It's just like, well, how much does this place cost? Like, you know, as, as you know, I'm in a dual income now, so it's less important. But when I was just a single guy, it's like, okay, money's tight. So I like to know what places are expensive, like, Mm -hmm. how affordable is this, what what is this item, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go into description on the food and then the service and all of that stuff. Um, But I I genuinely only leave positive reviews. I don't, I don't ever leave negative reviews. It's just Mm -hmm. like, if I didn't like the place, I just don't go to it. Um, I might leave a negative star rating, but even that's super rare. Like, it's like, I just feel, I don't know. I feel maybe they're having an off day or something um, unless it's just completely cruddy and then I'll just, I'll do it then just to kind of warn the community. This place is not good. You should not waste your money here. I've done it uh, too. I gave gave somebody a one star once. Yeah, I gave somebody a one star once
1: and I thought they deserved it. It was like, and it wasn't even because of the food. It was actually because I couldn't eat there. It's because that, like, you know, they basically told me there was a two and a half hour wait, you know, even though it wasn't advertised as a two and a half hour wait. And then they said, go home and order. So I, I ordered it. For, like, pickup, and then they canceled the order and said, oh, this isn't ready for four hours. And it's like, what the fuck? Oh, no. You know, that kind of, so I, I, I even put, yeah, like, garbage. this is not a review of the restaurant. This is a re- review of the process, and it's one star, and here's why. You know, that kind of thing, right? Um, but anyway, so while we were at Restaurant Kenichi, um, they, they didn't have some of the desserts, and they said, I was talking about how we wanted, like, whatever it was with ice cream on it. And then, they're like, "Well, we, we can just give you the ice cream. Like, and I'm like, okay, what are the flavors? And they were like, you know, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 and ube. And I was like, oh, I'll take the ube. And then my entire family was just staring at me like holy shit you chose the ube (laughs) like you aren't aren't you one to surprise us mr foster (laughs) you know and uh it was (laughs) do you not normally like ube no i I normally don't i normally don't oh interesting Um, yeah i'm normally not a ube guy but i've been on an ube kick in fact i just went to a i haven't taken you here but it's no more than like five miles from my house maybe six or something it's a restaurant called scrambler's cafe it's a breakfast and lunch joint and they have all kinds of cool shit they have a they have a um They have a Captain Crunch macadamia nut French toast that they have. That's one of my favorite things. And they also do ube waffles. That sounds really good. Both of those sound good. It was fucking fantastic. So anyway, that that was my dumb thing number one, which was the ube kick. Why don't you do one and then I'll go back to my second thing.
0: I've been getting a lot of ube related items at um, Valerio's, which is a Filipino bakery down here in San Diego and National Mm -hmm. City. And uh, it's so good. They have. So I'll go there to pick up like Pondesol. Uh, for my girlfriend or for my mom or both. And um, they'll have like kind of items that they're trying. And one time I went in, they had Ube muffins. Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, give me, you know, two bags of Pondisol and I'll take these two. Right. And it was one of the best muffins I've ever had in my entire life. And then the next time I went there, they didn't have them. And I was so bummed. But they did have Ube Pondisol. And I was just like, what the hell? What is this? Yeah. And I got that i like, all right, well, give me a bag of Sol and let me take these. And that shit was delicious, too. So, um, nice. And I also have that Ube milkshake IPA from Harlan sitting in my fridge for that special occasion. You're an and asshole. I think that's going to be a, a creator's retreat. I think that's where I'll be having that bad boy. And I will actually split that with you, my friend. Oh,
1: well, that's different. I take back what I just said about you being an asshole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're totally not um, an uh, asshole. You're a cool dude. <laughs> you're damn right I am. Yeah. Um, okay, so my, my bullshit... Is So I got the complete complete collection of Luther Strode Mm -hmm. for Christmas, and I finished it because, whoa, so, you know, on the year-end show, I had Tradmore as my favorite artist because I had finally read some Tradmore comic books, which was the legacy of Luther Strode. What I didn't know was the legacy of Luther Strode is the third part of the story. It's the Mm -hmm. final part of the story. And so I read the ending of the story, not knowing so. And uh, so I get that trade in and I look at the back and I look at the order of the series. And I was like, oh, shit, that was the end of the series. Okay, whatever.
1: (laughs) You're like, wow, Darth Vader threw the emperor down the shaft.
0: (laughs) Oh, wait, there's more. And he somehow returned. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I read the first two chapters. Somehow, somehow Somehow
1: Palpatine returned.
0: Um, so, yeah, I, I read the first two, two parts of the story. It was, it was a great book to read. It was really interesting to see Tradmore's style move from how it was in the very beginning of the story to how it was at the end of the story. And one of the elements, a couple of the elements that I noticed that was different from the third part was Trad uses only solid lines to draw everything in the third part of the story. Everything is solid. There's no gradients. There's no textures that he's using. It's just solid line work. Like um, mm-hmm. uh, it's black, white, lots of thick blacks, a lot of thick or uh, skinny lines, thick lines. But they're always lines. They're never they're always connected. There there's just a flow to it that he likes to do repeated patterns and whatnot. In the first two story arcs, it is not that mm-hmm. the first story arc. There is a lot of stuff there that's like reminiscent of Ryan Otley. Um, uh, there's a couple of other there, they escape me at the moment. There's a couple of other artists that he reminds me of in that first part, but it's just so different than what you know Tradmore for. And um, you still see him in the first part of the story, and in the second part it becomes more and more like him. But there's still these elements that are completely unlike him, and it's nice to see that that evolution of the creator. And uh, it's interesting to to have the evolution of the character as well. The way the story starts with that character and the where where it ends is just completely different. Mm. Um, So I really enjoyed it. I really liked it, but you know, me, I have to have the single issues. So I went on eBay today and I found a lot of the legend of Luther Strode, which is the first story arc. Um, And they only had one through five, but I already had, I have one in six already. So I needed, you know, two, three, four, uh, five. So I got it 15 bucks for five issues, not too shabby, three bucks a piece, basically free shipping. Um, so I'm really happy with that. So now I just have to get the middle part of the story. And I think I only have a couple of issues. Um, but by the time this airs, I will have locked those all in. I can guarantee you that. And so I'll have that story. So, um, I love having those single issues for me. It's just so great like there's Mm -hmm. just something about the single issues that i have to have even though i have that trade on the shelf and i can just pull it off at any time and just flip through it
1: you're back baby you did it i'm back you did it. i'm back you're back and uh and hey uh since since we're here i will end up talking about this next week but i am going on another trip this weekend oh shit and uh and you should send me your updated comic want list because i'm probably gonna go to one if not two spots in the town i'm going to so i will save all that for next week and i'm sure it will lead to some bullshit no doubt and uh and then we can talk about that bullshit but in the meantime yeah give me your updated list within a day or two hell yeah we'll do rock on all right you got anything else i do i do so hawaii okay so when i get pumped for hawaii um, I, I, may have mentioned this guy before. Um, he's a, I, I consider him a strong acquaintance and perhaps a friend. His name is Roger Bong and he owns a record store in, uh, Oahu in Honolulu called Aloha Got Soul. Aloha Got Soul was a music blog about just what you think it is about like soulful slash funky Hawaiian music. And, mm. uh, and he turned that blog into a record label. In fact, in my previous podcast, The Vinyl Exam, I ended up interviewing him about two months before he launched his first record. And, you know, all these years later, he's turned that into a pretty successful record line and an actual storefront. So super happy for him. And his music, a lot of the music, has become the soundtrack for whenever I go to Hawaii. It's just what I throw on when I'm chilling on the patio or listening to that kind of stuff. And it turns out that that's part of a subgenre called AOR. Okay, so I thought I knew what AOR was back in the day. I think it stands for album-oriented rock. When I was growing up in in Houston, and I started to first get aware of this stuff, I thought album-oriented rock, AOR, was the kind of stuff that would play, you know, Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, Steve Miller Band, but like the deeper cuts, not hits, the deeper cuts. Okay. Mm -hmm. Somehow, Palpatine returned. No, somehow, <laughs> AOR has now become associated with, and again, I can probably do better research on this, but with like breezy, semi-funky pop from 1976 to 1983. That's what AOR means these days. So, oh, wow. think, that was think very of very specific. Think, yeah, think of like Yacht Rock. It's very Yacht Rocky. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. so when you think of like Yacht Rock, like Beach or like, Boys, uh, no, like Christopher Cross, like. Uh, what's the typical yacht rock song? Like like if you like Pina Colada's uh, Escape, that might be a bit of like a yacht rock song. Um, those kind of things, right? So Christopher Cross, Sailing. Sailing okay. takes me yeah. away, right? Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But these songs tend to be funkier and they also have a disco bend to them. So I have been on a huge AOR kick. In fact, um, my, I treated myself and they're probably going to show up over the next couple weeks Um, To a couple AOR albums that I really wanted I just found a couple records that I really liked so that was it I I will actually I should mention that the money that I used for that uh, splurge purchase of getting actually was three three AOR records and a jazz record that I've been I've been listening to it so much on Spotify I was finally like you know what. I should probably fucking buy this thing. You know what I mean? Like at some point, I feel like I owe them a debt for the amount of, of time I've listened to their shit. Guess what kind of money I used for that, Scott? I'm not even going to let you guess. The money I used for it came from my fantasy football championship, which was my second in a row. Oh, nice. And I know I shouldn't care that much about winning back-to-back fantasy championships, but God damn it, I won back-to-back fantasy football championships. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, you know? actually. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, what was the know.
0: What was the booty? uh $900 oh fuck you should definitely feel excited about winning it back hell yeah hell yeah man yeah I
1: did it I did it all legal of course I don't know if you can see it back here but uh the belt is there ours ours comes with a title belt so uh, I cannot your little
0: speaker is in the
1: way hold on go grab it hold on
0: I want okay so I want to see what this thing looks like he's uh grabbing it from the back shelf there he's bringing it to the front oh look at that thing Oh, very cool. It is a uh hold on, I'm gonna take a snapshot of that. Alright, and I will post this up yeah, when uh, this episode comes out. It's like a pro wrestling style lucha libre belt. It actually has like a luchador on it. Pretty cool. <laughs>
1: yeah man it's uh the name of our league is uh la liga de futbolistas fantasticos so uh so yeah man did they
0: have that last year or is this the first year they had it oh no
1: they've had it for like 10 years um but but you know the the winner keeps the belt so uh actually when the when the playoffs started i i brought brought that belt down from the shelf and i just stared at it and i was like all right baby you're staying here another year (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know so anyway. uh, okay so you have had it i i had it for the last year because it's like the stanley cup like you keep it as long as you hold the title so yeah, I i've never it. i've never I, seen it
0: before oh, was it, in, it was it there it was when i like crashed over the other day it, or it, the other yeah, month.
1: it was it would have been up against the wall tucked behind uh you know how i have that ad at that i painted with the three yes. adidas stripes it was like right there oh uh, okay Yeah, it's, okay. it's like it was like right behind the the 12 inch high kadoja figure i have and the mm-hmm. um the 3d print and then also the ad ad over there so yeah man it was, oh, it was right on. There. it was right i just cool. gave it a more prominent position because you know back to back baby that's all i can say but anyway I so like so yeah man I'm, I'm on a huge aor kick and uh and the death metal is taking a little bit of a back seat for now and we'll see how long it it stays that way
0: that's good man change it up yeah exactly um, okay so my last thing for my bullshit is on a splurge. Cause I was looking up something else on eBay and like you said, I'm back. Uh, I got the power Rangers series from boom one through 15. Wow. For yeah. For 35 bucks. So I don't know why. But I, I, I was just going to ask you,
1: like, is there a reason for that? Is there an artist, a story? No, because I have a fucking problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, OK, so I guess the original reason would be that's where I discovered Simone DeMaio. Mm. So he did, um, I think he did a three issue run on Power Rangers, and I just saw them in like the dollar bin for some reason. And. Oh, oh, no, I know exactly why I saw them in the dollar bin is because I saw Simone DeMaio's work on the Power Rangers versus Ninja Turtles. That's where his that's the first time I saw his work. So I was like, OK, let me look him up. Let me see what else he did. And I saw he, he did a three issue stint on it um, that I can remember. I think it, believe it was three issues. Mm-hmm. And so I found a couple of them in the dollar bin. And uh, so I was just like, hey, they have a tendency to get really good artists on these Power Ranger books. I believe Dan Moore did a lot of work on the Power Rangers. I know he's mm. currently drawing the uh, the second Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Power Rangers miniseries, and I grabbed that issue. So um, I just – I know they have really good artists, and those books are full of action. So I'm really curious how they went. And uh, my buddy has sworn by them. He's a huge mm. TMNT and Power Ranger guy, uh, my best friend Ralph. And so he's always sworn by him. He's t- talked to me, talked to me about storylines that have gone in. I'm like, man, that sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I fanboy like Ryan helped. He, when he comes on, he always covers the Power Rangers. And so to me, it's very interesting. Like I did like Power Rangers when I was a kid, mm-hmm. like the very first series. And so I was just like, yeah, let's let's see what they're putting these characters through. Why not?
1: Nice, nice. So you you have prompted me. I wanted to play a little catch-up here, so I am going to play a little catch-up with some comic recommendations since you were talking about it. So, oh, nice. number one, um, a long time ago, I placed an order through Midtown. In fact, it wasn't long after we had Aubrey on. That's how long ago it was. Oh, okay. Because yeah, it, was, it, was, it was one of those, like, huge sales. And when I was looking through the sale, when I was looking to, like, round out my order for, you know, a dollar per book, I did a search and I'm like, what is Aubrey written? that I can find cheap on uh, Midtown. And I found a few things. And I'm finally working my way through some of that. And I read a single issue of his that I really enjoyed. I believe it was a miniseries that I might have to track down. It was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Dimension. I think that's what it was called. But uh, Mm -hmm. the particular issue I uh, read... Super wrestling-oriented, man. I think one of the Turtles ended up doing some wrestling. We know that Aubrey's a huge wrestling fan. And uh, anyway, so it was really neat to read that story. I I, I was very entertained. And, uh, and so, yeah, that reminded me, just thinking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that I wanted to recommend that book, even though I've only read, like, issue three. So... I'm in a weird space with comics because I really haven't bought much and I haven't bought any kind of old comics. You know, if you eliminate new comics I've bought at the shop, I haven't bought a comic in like four months, Um, but I'm probably going to pick that up. So I need to almost like, you know, get some energy up to dig for back issues because I don't have the first thing to dig for, you know, but... uh, also yeah, see. We'll see.
0: Uh, let me know is, is that third issue that's the only one that you have it's the only one i have i think yeah okay well i'm gonna go to socal i think this week maybe or or next week and i'll check the dollar bin and see what they have there and get cool. you some stuff on the cheap if they have it cool let me let me double check because i know i posted it to my instagram stories and i can confirm exactly what
1: the name of the series is i'm pretty sure it's teenage it Men- is dimensions. dimensions okay good good it perfect. is mm-hmm. perfect and then uh so then two other things um, a couple weeks ago, I think I talked yeah, when I went to New York, I really glossed over the fact that I visited my cousin in Red Bank. I mean, I say like, you know, that, that is the extent of how much I talk about it. And then I talk about how great, uh, Rook Coffee is, but we went into, um, Asbury Park, I think it was. And that's where Kevin Smith's store is. The Jay and Silent Bob, uh, comic vault. I've been there before, but that's where we ended up killing some time. And when I was in there, Again, I'm not really in the mood to buy collectible comics, but there were a bunch of really interesting local comics there that I've never seen anywhere. So I went ahead and grabbed a few. And one of them was this book, which I I did enjoy. I mean, it's it's pretty groovy. It's called uh, Knights of the Fifth Dimension. And much like you with Luther Strode, I think this is the fifth issue of five. So I know how it ends. I just don't know what led to it. <laughs> but uh but yeah, man, I think I thought the art was really cool. It varied in a lot of places. Like there is some fluctuation in the interiors and art, but I thought it was a really well done indie comic, you know? So, right so props to that.
0: Um it looks like Were you the, able to follow along even though it was the fifth issue? Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Is isn't it great? Like yeah. that you can just do that. I I mean, it's it's funny because I think we've talked about, you know, certain stories. You can't just pick it up in the middle, but you can. It's just you have to be a person that can go, okay, okay. I think this is what's happening. And you just have to put stuff together, certain things together on your own. Yeah. But most people are smart enough to do that and you can figure it out. Totally. And then um, the other book I wanted to talk about,
1: caveat that when you see this in a lot of places, it is pretty expensive. It does come with that indie comic premium. Have you ever heard of Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer? Dude, that's, I think I have heard of it, but I have never seen it. Dude, I saw it there and I would have bought all the issues, but it was, it was expensive. But here, I'm just going to try to find a good like interior that's not too dark. But like, if you look at this guy's here let me let me try to do this one here hopefully you can see
0: this right yep like oh wow those are really good interiors man dude that is very can you let me see um man that that page right there very reminiscent of simone de mayo
1: yeah this uh, guy's very, got very nice serious chops. know that you're going to pay like a pretty penny for it if that's what you want i think a trade oh, yeah, that's of nice. the, collecting the first 6 issues is like expensive but it, it is very very good and i'm going to keep an eye out for issues that maybe aren't at the high single issue cover price this is but you know and that's why i only bought one um because is that issue one this is issue number six um i oh, just okay. i i i chose the issue that i thought looked the best and that's why i liked number six um but yeah man very very good so uh and and just i'm one of those books where like you know i'd like to find it but if cool I don't cover. find it, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to die or anything. And I'm happy that I at least have one of the issues in my collection because it's a pretty cool artifact and it's a neat indie book.
0: Yeah. yeah it's funny when you get these, um, you know, these these uh, weird, weird takes like Abraham, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Vampire What was, what was he? vampire hunter that's that's that's
1: you know that's a that's by the same guy who wrote pride and prejudice and zombies which i talked about a few weeks ago
0: oh is it really yeah it's by seth uh, whatever his name is Mm -hmm. oh right guy yeah yeah that's that's funny that's funny um it reminds me of like just delving into public domain and what you can do with it like these stories these characters that everyone knows and then you can just go do whatever the fuck you want because public domain who cares Totally,
1: totally. So anyway, so yeah, I'm glad I finally got to mention
0: those things. But that's all I got. Right that's on, enough. Man. That's
1: enough bullshit for today.
0: Hell yeah! All right. Well, yeah, I think that'll do it. um You can find me at Scott Lost S C O T T L O S T on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Uh, if you want to pick up my books, uh, Wander's the Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs Versus Humans, or Second Shift Minimum Wage Superheroes during the Minimum Wage Superheroes. That's it. Kapow! <laughs> Kapow! Boom! Got him. Got him. Uh, accidentalaliens.com. So if you want to pick those those titles up, you can get those at accidentalaliens.com along with uh, the Accidental Alien Anthologies 2017, 18, and 19. And Tales from the Mothership. I have stories in all of those books uh, at accidentalaliens.com.
1: Yeah. And for me on Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore invader. I try to post about five times a week there with all kinds of goodies. Um, and then, in terms of websites, it is keithr.foster.com. I have a page there for Kadoja. I have which which is um, giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft. I have a page there for Three Protectors. That is Kung Fu in Space and. Scott, we need to talk a little bit about this when we hang up, but I am planning on the Kickstarter for the next issue of Kadoja happening next month in February. Oh, hell yeah. So, yeah, let's let's get it. We're going to get into issue number two of Symphony of Madness, and I've got some more books coming out this year, and as they get intro'd, such as Animals and possibly my novel, depending on where it gets released, there will be more pages on the Keith R. Foster site, and you'll have the chance to grab those as well once they're here.
0: Right on. Um, And you can contact us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, any information we got wrong, stuff we got right, and you want to hear more about, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And in terms of rating
1: us for podcasts, you know we love this. We love you hopping on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and giving us five stars. That is the maximum. You know we deserve the maximum. You've been listening to us for like an hour and a half. Plus, we're the five stars in this podcast on the planet, and you can treat us accordingly and give us the five stars in this review. And if you're on Apple, you can even throw some words behind it. So go do
0: that. We did it, guys. We did it. We almost did it. You got to rate your beer, son. Oh, thank goodness. Thank you. Um, let's see. <sighs> Mother Earth Brew Company Milk Truck Latte Stout. Yeah so good you can't even you say you are
1: not the father you were oh man come on man you're you not might, even a remark might, at my mori reference <laughs> you might be an eight might be
0: might be if you had seven point seven point seven five okay seven point seven five
1: okay i'm with you i'm with you um, mine's a little bit of a layup because, well, number one, I I did have a glass of scotch. I don't know if you caught that halfway through. So I had, a, I'll, I guess I'll rate both of them. Um, I I think the Buena Vesa is a good solid right there with you, Scott. It's like a seven and a half. Let's go with a seven and a half to an eight. You know, it's, I mean, I I, I chose it. And I actually got six of them in Trader Joe's. That's how much I like it because it's just a great lager. So in terms of like an everyday lager to keep in your refrigerator, highly recommend it, man. But the problem with that is you wouldn't really want to do that because there's so many great lagers out there. It's it's a great one to have. I highly suggest you go out there, especially if you like loggers. Go, go treat yourself to a Buena Vesa and, and see what the fuss is all about. And then I will also give a seven to the, the ounce or two or the dram of Aberlore whiskey that I had. So technically scotch whiskey because, you know, it came from Scotland and I did enjoy the Aberlore. It's a little, little bit sweeter. It's not, it's not like my, you know, scotch I would have before the electric chair, but I enjoyed it and I will enjoy it again.
0: Ashland hard seltzer, ginger peach, 675
1: okay boy what, dude you just keep on like adding things i thought we were only going on like whole numbers and halves and now you're dropping in quarters pretty soon you're going to be man. like 6.382 you're just going to go to it's like, like thousands as, and as as
0: a seltzer goes it's it's pretty good um it doesn't have a ton of flavor but the amount of flavor that it has i do like it is originally from san diego so there's that but I don't think it's as good as, let's say, a white claw. Like it's it's just not. There's not enough flavor there for it to be as mm-hmm. good as a mango white claw. Is that um, your ten? Is that your seltzer ten? Like a mango dude, white claw? Dude, I I don't know that seltzers are could ever be a ten. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: a good point. That's a good
0: point. So it's, it's like and it's, it's like, just like saying a Big Mac
1: could be a ten. You know what I mean? Can a right. can a can a fantastic fresh Big Mac that's perfect be like an eight eight and a half? Of course it can. You know, but let's let's Maybe not get. I,
0: don't, I wouldn't even say eight and a half. Oh, I'd like say eight from, and a half. but I, I ride for Oh, McDonald's. interesting. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, okay, okay. We're, talk, yeah, we're talking about like a Big I'm Mac ve- I'm very particular. I'm very particular. Me too, like,
1: <laughs> but I like, like Big Macs.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, if you like Big Macs, then that's your shit for sure. Like, if you give me a McDonald's 20-piece fresh, crispy, juicy, I would say that's eight and a half.
1: That's it. Okay, so basically what you're saying is McDonald's can only go as high as about an eight and a half to you. Yeah. 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 But that's I think that's me too. I think that's the Big Mac, right? Like that's so my, yeah, if, if you're, that's yeah, my Big McDonald's Mac's fame. not
0: my jam. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So yeah. that makes sense then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where I would right. where I would smash Chick-fil-A nuggets and that would probably that's gotta be a nine. You know what I mean? Like Dude, just, I had um I think they're it's like something bare. I think the I think the brand is bare. You can get it at Costco. Mm-hmm. Those those bitches taste exactly like Chick Fil A nuggets. Okay. Den- yeah, it's like a green label. I'll look it up to confirm that's what it's called, but I believe it's Bear, and uh, they're fucking fantastic. T- fantastic. If you have a Costco membership, I do. I just go, got
1: one in Hawaii. I I well, I, I Rachel and I took to one to out in Hawaii um, because we wanted to get the poke there actually, and then we're like, yeah, fuck it. We 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 need a Costco membership, so we will. They're be. fantastic. Okay. Yeah. It
0: pays for itself, you know, especially yeah. if you have a gas station near you. Yeah. Man, it just it pays for itself for sure. Yes. So but yeah, look for that brand, I'll send it to you. Um I just we threw some in the air fryer and I was like, Holy shit, this tastes like Chick-fil-A. Okay. And I don't like going to Chick-fil-A because their nuggets, they are delicious, but they are the smallest nuggets i ever seen, and they're the most expensive nuggets I've ever paid for. Yeah. So, I'm just like, I I cannot do this in good faith. Like, I cannot pay this price. Yeah. But uh, I'll pay for a bag at Costco for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear you, man. I hear you. All right. Well, now that we got you guys all uh, looking forward to some liquor and some food, we'll see you guys next week. yay. Yay.